0: Alright, we are going to continue this morning our series which is titled Under Construction and uh, today we're going to complete the roof section and, um, and then we're going to tell a different story with all the rough edges beginning next week. And um, for those who have been, we've been having lots of visitors lately which is awesome so Welcome. And uh, thank you for being part of of, of our morning gatherings. And um, just to bring you up to speed, and and all of us for that matter, uh, we've been talking about this series titled Under Construction. And um, we are basing this on the idea of a list of virtues which show up in Peter's second letter. Uh, We call that 2 Peter, and it's in chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. And um, this month, we've been focusing on one of those virtues, which is titled brotherly affection. That explains this thing here. That's actually the Greek word there. Uh, Philadelphia, philadelphos are the words used to talk about uh, brotherly affection, uh, the affection that occurs within the life of a family. And uh, Tony Potts was up here last week, and he was speaking on a number of ways the Greek idea that is Philadelphia plays out in Scripture, and he contrasts that with, obviously, some um, spaces in the world, obviously, including our neighbors up in Sutton Town, how how the word is used in society around the place. And uh, we see evidence of Jesus and the disciples working under that umbrella of Philadelphia also. Um, In the previous weeks, I've noted that even though it's not at the absolute pinnacle of the list of virtues... And even though it's not the highest form of love the scriptures speak of, Philadelphia is actually still a powerful expression nonetheless. It's based on this idea of phileo love, love among a brotherhood. And it is love enough for those observing us to take note of. And it holds a a lot of what we are together. And we saw this shown to us again last week. I would say this. When someone comes into a room like us and, well, hopefully, says, gee, I felt a lot of love in the room. Or conversely, like I have actually experienced. I've walked into a church one day and, um, and walked into the coldest environment I've ever had in a church setting. A regional one which I expected to have a bit more warmth. But um, to the point that Jen goes to the bathroom, I'm standing like a stunned mullet in the middle of the foyer after the service and everyone walks past and not a soul speaks to me. That can happen at times. And you kind of walk away from that going, gee, there's not a lot of love in that room. Whether we experience it or whether we notice its absence... I would suggest that it's actually not agape we're talking about there. We're talking about phileo, a brotherly concern, a, brotherly, a sense of affection that comes amongst people. Phileo is this higher view on love that a mind can conceive based on human experience and effort. I believe that the next stage that Peter shows us, love, agape is taught to us through Christ than experienced supernaturally. Now I'm going to speak one last way in which brotherly affection can manifest itself in a believer's life and in a community's life. And in doing this, I'm going to dig into a concept that is often used as a throwaway line in church circles. When I really believe it should be engaged with at a much more sacred level. So I've got three passages I'm going to work through today. Um, if you are a person who likes to use your book, you probably need time uh, with the paper Bibles. So 1 John 1, I'm going to look at today. I'm going to look at Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 today. So these are the three passages I want to work with. They will be on the screen, um, and they will be. First John chapter 1 is going to be up momentarily in three languages, like we normally do at the moment. So we're just going to look first up. First John, chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. And um, I'll, just, I'll start us off here now as we get this up. It says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen in our, with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. One of the key ways to really showcase brotherly affection is through the sacred practice of fellowship. Now, this is a word that has had a bit of a resurgence in recent years. If you're a Tolkien fan, like, I actually admit I'm not, but I've sat through the movies. You'll know of the well-known trilogy of books, that tell what is essentially a good versus evil story in a fictional place called New Zealand. I mean, Middle Earth. (laughs) Frodo is the central character, and he is charged to overcome evil, while the forces of all that is evil seek to destroy him. But for Frodo to complete his mission... The Council of Elrond appoints a a carefully chosen cohort to travel with him as he does what he has been set apart to do. From this formation, we get the title of the movie that we all know, The Fellowship of the Ring. Did I get the synopsis right? In this thinking, a fellowship is a group with a common goal. And given the stakes that are presented in the series of the movie, I would even go as far as to use the word sacred goal. Sacred common goal. This word is used in a number of professional fields, and particularly in academic fields also. You can earn a scholarship... This is simply the ability to qualify for your costs of study being met by a grant of some sort. But you can also earn a fellowship. And this is to recognize potential or skill and, and facilitate the achieving of something a little more grand. Put simply, earning a fellowship in an academic or pre- professional setting is to have earned the backing to do something exceptional. And here in 1 John, we read that the relationship God invites believers into is fellowship also. It begins with the divine first. There is fellowship among the Trinity. The Father and the Son are specifically mentioned here, but the Spirit is also included in other passages. This fellowship is one of the things the Scriptures call many times a mystery. An open secret accepted by faith, making some sense and yet not being fully worked out because our finite minds do not have the mechanism to do so. Even though sometimes we have the arrogance to believe we do. John writes that we are invited into this fellowship. And Paul does also in 1 Corinthians nine. Adelaide theologian, Graham Buxton, he's an Anglican. He describes this fellowship setting in a very unique way. He says this, it's quite poetic. Caught up in the love of the Trinity, we are privileged to dance with God in the darkness of this world. Caught up in the love of the Trinity, we are privileged to dance with God in the darkness of this world. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. This means to share or participate in something common. The idea was that this was to be done in a very liberal way. The extension of that Greek word is koinonikos, and this is actually the ancient Greek word for generosity. So the scriptural idea is that we are called into a generous, common partnership with the Trinity, with access to this dance given through Christ. And this mysterious, generous, common partnership by its very design extends to the others on the same dance floor. When it comes to fellowship, we are all, Frodo's, assigned a cohort to accompany us, accompanying us as we play our role in good triumphing over evil. We're all fellows, being invested in by the Spirit and sharpened by each other in order to do something exceptional. We're all a community in generous common partnership in the pursuit of a common exceptional cause. Now, in the church setting that Peter is writing to, there are church folk who are going into business for themselves. We've explored this several times over uh, this series, and we've seen how evident that is later in this letter. It's not merely a matter of whether or not they agree with a congregation mission statement or stuff like that, but there is blatant heresy, there is blatant immorality and abuse going on by some amongst the congregation. This basically means they were creating unholy dance floors, as it were, creating unholy settings of fellowship, unordained spaces with heresy and poor morals and, and all of these things being set, attracting people to fellowship into those settings, into darkness, not away from it. So you have this seduction going on from false teachers on one front, and then you have the emergence of persecution taking place. And as a result, others are distancing themselves from fellowship completely because of that. It's too hot where the fellowship is. They want to get away so they can go alone and feel a little bit safer, at least in the world. But the sacred relationship of fellowship would be one of the ways that you would know that brotherly affection was working among a healthy congregation. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to go to that part now. This is actually one of my favorite passages. I've actually had the privilege of preaching from this in a number of surprising settings, including at the Wangaratta Jazz Festival in an outdoor service. It's crazy. I love it because it speaks of the untainted dance floor of fellowship before divisions and misbehavior began to show up in the church. Okay, with that behind us, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. There are two key things taking place here below the surface that feed into external evidences. There is the presence of fellowship and there is the singleness of a cause. They were in one mind. The cause was this inside fire in the belly that they all shared. They all had a drive for the same thing. They didn't come together as they they had a church meeting like we're about to have after the service. It actually wasn't a think tank to try to go, oh, what does the group speak about? It was actually what is the spirit burning into us that drives us, and how do we all get on board with that? There was a fire in the belly generated in those gatherings in a powerful way. These things combined meant that the church understood both the closeness they had in Christ and with each other. And this closeness would bring them together to achieve something exceptional. And we see behavior here that shows a really healthy outworking of that. There's the unified seeking of truth coming together under one doctrinal umbrella as presented by the apostles. There is the habit of gathering deliberately and reflectively in sacred settings, corporately and intimately. You've got temple courts and homes for the purpose of prayer and breaking bread, meals and communion both in play there. And there is extreme generosity. In the Greek, it's the natural extension of being in fellowship. Let me talk about that generosity out of 2 Corinthians 8. Verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Macedonian churches sorry in the midst of a very severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing mark that word in this service to the Lord's people now, in context, the giving that was taking place there was actually for Jerusalem and for the Judean province that was going through famine. It was a pretty big one. But that word sharing there is actually the same word that we describe as fellowship. It's koinonia. Used in the t- context of giving. When new churches rose up, generous partnership Generous fellowship naturally followed. And what occurred down there in Jerusalem was being replicated everywhere, including the European churches. We go back to Acts 2. It says, with all that going on, brotherly affection produced unadulterated generosity and fellowship. And when that happened, the neighborhood took notice. They haven't even reached Agape yet. It's too soon in the dance. They're still in Philadelphia here. But the neighborhood is taking notice already. At worst, the community knew who they were and respected them. It's not a bad worst case scenario, really. At worst, At best, the neighborhood wanted to join them, and this happened on a daily basis. I need to complete the last bit of construction for this particular virtue. Handling sheet metal without gloves, yep, OHS, yep. Awesome. Checked all this was prefabbed earlier, yes. It stops rattling. You know it's working. That's enough for now. This thing's now fully sheltered. This thing now fully functions. there. A few rough edges still. Agape will sort that out. But we have something now that actually works and will serve a function and as long as it doesn't rain too heavily, it will be quite good. Fellowship was the final piece there. We live in a time where the word fellowship comes with a somewhat rich tapestry of usage. It's used on a silver screen in a loaded way. It has deep and meaningful applications in areas such as academia. But with equal fervor, we can use this word as a bit of a throwaway line in the church. And yet we have the richest definition of it sitting in our possession in the scriptures. We might describe the coffee and the foyer after the service as a fellowship setting. Yeah, it's partially true. In the spirit of fellowship, I am deeply appreciative of the work that each house church now puts into the food that goes out after each service. It means that part of our gathering is now being treated as more of a sacred space than perhaps it once did. I love that because Jesus did significant ministry while sharing food. And I believe the same can happen in the foyer each and every Sunday. But if we relegate the foyer time to fellowship, call that, that's the fellowship section of the 9.30 service or if we relegate our time at collars and cuffs, or belgiorno's, or presto, or whatever we do after that again, and we call that fellowship and somehow divorce it from what happens in this building. I think it's still not quite there. It's nice, but it's not the full encompassing thing. Since our relationship with God and each other is one of primarily of fellowship. I believe fellowship and worship are much more intertwined and not so easily separated. By my reckoning as I study the scriptures, I see the moment we came into the worship setting this morning, the moment we came in through the foyer, the moment we started saying hi to people in the car park, we entered fellowship as we sung together we were also in fellowship together as we prayed about uh, the unwell we were in fellowship together as we are coming around the word of god now we are in fellowship together and as we go in to have coffee and have coffee and cake and and do those things yes it's fellowship but it's also worship Because wherever God is and where God's name is being honoured, where people come together for the common cause of Christ, they are so linked. It's not funny. Brotherly kindness calls us to a worship expression like that. It calls us away from the heresy and the toxicity of individualism. calls us to community it calls us to fellowship it calls us to pursue a common cause that we've sought together in our fellowship with Christ my question friends is when we talk about fellowship when we come in to do worship when we gather with other believers is that the way we're really seeing it? Is that how we understand fellowship to be? Is that how we are? And not about, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, Ken, but are we living that out? Is our time with other believers outside of this building a little more sacred? Can it be a bit more sacred than it currently is? Is our time in the foyer more than just grabbing a coffee and running out? Is that a sacred connection with other people? And is our gathering here today a sacred expression, not just of worship, but fellowship as well? That may have blown your mind, or it might be something that I've just only learned from myself, and you're just going, we got it. But I do believe some of us can go deeper with this. In the West, we like to be separate. We like to go our own way. We like to be our own island. We're love our, our hap- we happy to have our 700 friends on Facebook and, and stay away from real people. It's, it's, we've got this individualistic thing going on and, and it can creep into us so easily. But Christianity isn't that. Worship isn't that. It's a team sport. Brotherly affection matters. To a church that is persecuted, brotherly affection matters. To a church that needs to strengthen itself against the heresy that's going on, yes, brotherly kindness matters. And fellowship and worship together, these are all outworkings of that. Let's not settle for anything less sacred than fellowship deserves to be. And let's always remember... The sacredness of Philadelphos of Philadelphia. Fellowship, brotherly affect, care for one another, common cause together. And Jesus working powerfully in that. Let's pray.